Welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Keith Denton. And on this year's Valentine edition, I'm going to interview a man who is considered the real Hitch. You know, Hitch is one of my favorite movies, you know. And the name of the man is Paul Carrick Brunson, or what he likes to be called is Paul C. Brunson. He received that label, Hitch, and The Love Doctor because of his work as a matchmaker, television host, serial entrepreneur, and author. He is, was also chosen as the world's most influential matchmaker by the Matchmaking Institute. Currently, he is also the co-host of Married at First Sight UK and Celebs Go Dating. Today, Paul will not only drop gems on the current trends in dating. And one of the things that, I, that I've been seeing is really interesting is that is the behavior of women online. And, and normally how it goes is, so a woman who is looking for any type of relationship, and this is, this is um, it could be a heterosexual woman, it could be a queer woman, right? Mm-hmm. But the pattern is pretty much the same. And that is, is first, we're gonna look at the, these, these photos, right? We're gonna look at photos, mm-hmm. we're gonna see what the photos look like, right? right? right. Um, but, but that's not all the decision is gonna be made on the photo. We're then going to secondly look at intent. But he'll also gain some perspective on what men get right in relationships. In matchmaking, what I've noticed is that the number one question, or maybe not the top, in the like top three questions that men would consider before committing to someone was whether or not they felt that they had the resources to support their partner. Mm or to be a predominant, you know, provider. And what were the things that made his wife so desirable 20 some odd years ago? What I think about my wife, right, is that here she was. So she was incredibly, you know, good looking, smart, right? Had all those things. So mate value goes up, right? Her, her, her market value goes up. Also, she was one of the only freshmen to have a car. Right. Oh. And she didn't just have like any car. She had like the craziest Jeep. So, like she had this incredible Jeep for like everyone okay. loved it, you know. And, and, and so boom, then it goes up. And then and then on top of that, uh every basket so ODU was a big basketball, still is a, right. a big basketball right. school. All the basketball players loved her. On that note, let's start the show. And today, this is usually where we're saying ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. This is an extraordinary Black man doing extraordinary things. And I am just so honored uh, to have him as a guest. I know the young people talk about trolling people. I've been trolling this young man for a very long time uh, because of one really factor is the whole hitch thing. Because I've been a relationship coach and, you know, Family would call me the hitch, but this, you know, young man is the real hitch, <laughs> the real life hitch. So, you know, it was a bit, little bit of uh, jealousy going on, but, you know, hey, he puts, um, he puts his money where his mouth is and he backs it up. And so I'm just thankful and welcome to Paul Carrick Brunson. 
Uh, welcome to the show today. Gee, that that was a strong, strong, strong welcome, uh, <laughs> uh, and also and, and also uh, a transparent, you know, uh, which made it very authentic. So I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. When you introduce yourself, do you say Paul Carrick Brunson or do you just say Paul Brunson? Yeah, that, that's a good one. Uh, so I normally say Paul C or Paul Carrick, and I'll tell you why. I've got to give you the the, the story. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, is, is that so when uh, when I was thinking about launching a matchmaking business, so this is in 2008, right? Okay. My wife and I, right, she, my wife funded the business. So it was both of us, right? Okay. When we decided to launch it, that was my first time being consciously aware of personal brand. So mm. I thought, okay, let me go out here and see what other Paul Brunsons are doing, right? Oh, wow. uh, okay. And I go to Google enter Paul Brunson. First thing I pop up is Paul Brunson, black male living in DMV, right? I'm living in DC at that time. So in DMV, convicted drug dealer. Wow. Are you serious? Notorious. Yeah. Like notorious first hit Paul Brunson. So immediately I thought, okay, how can I, how can I distinguish myself, you know, from, from, from this gentleman right mm. here? So that's when I inserted my middle name because it, because it's fairly unique. So that's, that's where it started. And that's why I've kept it just because over the years, I've built up so many impressions against Paul C. Brunson or Paul Carrick Brunson, like all my social handles, et cetera, or all wow. that. So okay. that's why I've stayed with it, but that's the story. Oh, that's awesome. So the fact that you, you knew you had to look up, you looked up your brand first, which I find fascinating as opposed to, look, this Paul Brunson, that's me. I'll, I'll rise above that. And so was that something that you learned or did you just distinctly say, well, let me look first before I get started? So I had uh, the privilege before I started my matchmaking uh, business I had the privilege of working for a gentleman by the name of Enver Yucha, uh, who is still a mentor of mine. And he, at that time, he was running one of the world's biggest educational institutions. And now not only does he do that, but he has, you know, basketball teams and stadiums and, and all this. He's, he's a billionaire and he lives in Turkey. And what in my job, what I did is I managed his investments in the United States and so I worked directly for this incredible entrepreneur that I saw for over the course of about five years, just leverage his brand, you know, so he focused on personal brand. And I saw someone who used personal brand to then build businesses. Mm. And, and at that time, it really wasn't. Uh, it really wasn't a category, you know, people just built businesses, you were just an entrepreneur. But what he was doing is, is he was building himself up as a brand, you know, mm -hmm. being recognizable. And then he would take that brand equity and he would turn that into launching businesses. So I, I saw it firsthand. So when I decided to launch my business, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a page out of that playbook. OK, OK. And of course, that's been successful for you. But I want to go back because you had mentioned something about. Uh, managing investments. And so I know that's something you did um, right out of your, your master's degree, if, if, if that's correct. But you got to a point where you didn't, you hated it. So what was it about 
what was it, especially, you know, in Georgetown, since you're fellow Georgetown alum, that's something that is, I guess, celebrated, you know, you know, finance. And that's kind of one of the major, uh, I guess, things to get into at Georgetown at the time. So, but what made you decide that you just hated the work? All right. So, you know, I'll even take it back to Georgetown. You know, one thing, so I just, I went to Georgetown for one reason. I went to Georgetown because of the brand of Georgetown, oh, wow. okay. because of the name. You know, I know a, a lot of people make decisions around uh, undergrad or graduate school for a whole variety of reasons. But for me, I thought, wow, here is a highly respected school and brand association is so important. You know, you can see how I'm like fixated on brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, this I is see why that. I, I actually... I actually teach a course uh, at Parsons right now on uh, on brand. So Parsons School of Design uh, on personal brand. Wait, hold so on, I've, hold I've, on. I've always been job, fascinated. Is that job 11 or is that part of the 10? <laughs> That's, that is job 15, actually. Okay. <laughs> <That's> 15. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but um, but so I I saw, you know, I saw early on that we – associate when we when we see a brand and we see someone associate themselves with the brand we presume that they kind of embody the greatness of that brand right Mm. so the whole idea is georgetown is this incredible school incredible people go to it you leave you do incredible things so therefore by me just going i'll be put into that pile Mm. no matter how i perform i'll be put into that pile oh wow so that was why i decided to go which i i don't think is the smartest decision, right? For anyone to make solely on brand. But but that's what I did. Okay. What I didn't realize was, so I went to the business school and what I didn't realize was how competitive it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But it was the nastiness and the competitiveness that I didn't like. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I, dis- I, I distinctly remember there was a pivotal point in my time there with my class where I called, you know, many of them racist and I, I just kind of went in on, on the class and I saw how I became completely ostracized in the class. You know, I was, I was, it was like the class and it was like Paul over there. There was a handful of people who were, um, who, who, who were accommodating me, but, but I felt very much alone. You know, there was a couple of people in there that, that, that I loved and adored, but right. for, for, the, for the most part, I felt alone. But what was worse was feel, not was feeling alone was I felt demeaned. I felt like in my class, the idea was like, why is this guy even here? Like, mm. He doesn't even deserve to, to be in our presence. Look at us. Like we're executives. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, tomorrow's CEO. We're right. blah, 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 blah. And that was my first taste of, or my first fully understanding, I had to either, I could either get down with the crowd or I could double down on what makes me unique, special, you know, and different. But then when I left, I didn't fall, I didn't follow what I had learned because then I Mm -hmm. I started doing investment banking. Right. And once again, fell into this place where it was I mean, I have tons of friends who are still investment bankers to this day, so it's it's not demeaning on them. But for the most part, where I was, it was a very greedy environment, you know, and it was an environment about make, take, 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 you know, 
Um, and so long story short is I ended up, I, I left uh, because of the environment. And it was those experiences that started to really teach me, you know what? It's cool to be different. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where your superpower is. Double down on all those areas. And, 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 and so I'm thankful for those experiences. So I think it emboldened me to get right. to, to, to where I am today and, and where I want to go tomorrow. Right. So in essence, you, at that time, you didn't have your, what your personal brand was. No, no. I was just trying to, to, to you know, figure it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, and that is great. The, you know, experiences do, do help, you know, help with that. So, um, uh, so then, you know, let's go a little bit farther back because you went to Old Dominion, which is a school I actually applied to and really enjoyed until I got accepted to Georgetown. Um, but you also met your wife at Old Dominion. Uh, and then you've been married since 2000. Is that correct? Yeah. 2001. 2001. Okay. And you, <laughs> so you, you, I'd love to know how you met. If you could tell that story, you know, a little briefly. Sure. Sure. So I met uh, my wife the, the summer before we started at, uh, as undergraduates at Old Dominion oh, okay. University. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it was, a, you know, one of those, you know, a lot of schools have those programs where you could come, you know, yeah, come and get acclimated. Yeah. 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 So uh, her last name uh, was Cobbs. Mine's Brunson. So they alphabetized the whole situation. So we were in the same group and it was you know, maybe about 20 of us in a group. Okay. And that was my first time uh, meeting her and the interaction. I distinctly remember, you know, the whole, you know, seeing her for the first time. So seeing her, I was like, Oh my God, she looks amazing. You know um, also, I had um, when I grew up, I um, it's a different uh, a different world was so Whitley from a different world for some like she was at the top of my totem pole. Like it was I loved everything about Whitley. OK, <laughs> that, 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 I, that show like I loved everything. But in particular, I loved her voice. She had like this southern accent. And where I lived, which was basically D.C., Virginia, mm-hmm. no, no one really had that, you know, level of Southern accent. Okay. And so when I met my wife, she had that that kind of accent. She's from Southern Richmond, uh, from uh, Southern Southern Virginia, so Richmond okay. area. Uh, that that stood out. So the accent, you know, kind oh, okay. of stood out to me. Wow. Um, and then in our group of about twenty people, we all had to take different tests. She was, she kept scoring the highest out of all of us, you know? And so I was like, wow. And she's smart on top of this, you know? So th- that was my first uh, introduction to her, but we became friends. We became, okay. you know, like distant friends, close friends, best friends, then became, you know, romantic. So it was that whole, that whole thing. And, and that's a, that took, you know, months and months and months that whole thing. Wow. Months. Okay. But I would assume, you know, you're you're a good looking man. So I'm assuming in, in between that time, there were other people you had dated or at least had talked to. And so, I mean, I I was dating since I was six. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's been a while. And I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that, that was it, was it, was it hard or challenging to make that transition or did it just kind of 
organically happen. The, the transition from Just from you know like from best friend dating to, to yeah to like partner. Uh, okay, got got you. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was. I mean, you know, what's interesting is that you could probably debate if it was organic or or, or not. But to me, it was very methodical. Mm-hmm. Like day one, moment one, I I said this is it. I am I am locked in. I'm going to do everything humanly possible, um, you know, to to, uh, to to be with this particular person. But she had other ideas, you know, oh, she was oh, like, okay. whatever, you know, I'm at college, you know, all because, you, you know, what w- was also funny to look back is, and I think this also, this impacts, you know, when you think about dating and you think about, you know, uh, how a lot of evolutionary psychologists call it, the, uh, you know, a mating market is that uh, in essence, it, it really is a, a, a mating market, you know, and a lot of people argue around mate value, right, in perception of mate value. But to a certain degree, there is a value, right, that we all have in this mating market. Mm-hmm. And the higher the, pres- the presumed value of that particular person is, is the more desirable they become, you know. Oh, wow. And what okay. I think about, what I think about my wife, right, is that here she was. So she was incredibly you know, good looking, smart, right. Had all those things. So mate value goes up, right. Her, her, her market value goes up. Also, she was one of the only freshmen to have a car, right. And she didn't just have like any car. She had like the craziest Jeep. Like she had this incredible Jeep for like everyone loved it, you know? And, and, And so boom, then it goes up. And then, and then on top of that, uh, Every basketball, so ODU was a big basketball, still is a, right. a big basketball right. school. All the basketball players loved her. Like they were all trying to, they were like, that's the one we want. Oh, right? wow. So, 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 there's, so there's demand from not just anyone, but from the most popular people, which then increases the, 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 the mate value, okay. right? So you have all these things going where her, mate, her value is like skyrocketing. And here, here I am. Like nobody, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so um, I, I, I say all of that to say that I think I had to be very methodical about my situation because she was literally out of my league, far, far out of my league. So I, people could say, maybe she'll say it was organic. I was very methodical. I had, I had to work. I had to work. You, oh, you had to, yeah, you had to work. Uh, so you had to, you had to really, I got study you know, her patterns, what she liked, um, keep her on her toes, so to speak, uh, to, cr- to create some intrigue. Oh, this is a good, this is a good brother. He's not, he has, I guess, goals or he has things that he wants to achieve in life. Cause that's probably the, was the separator as opposed to, and, I, and I'm not trying to be mean basketball players, but you know, their main focus in life at that time is basketball and, and probably, I, mean, I guess women, if you want a lack of a better word. So it's right. I'm sure that played a big part. No, it's, it's huge. So, all right, to, to your point, what you're saying right now, I think is fundamentally one of the most undervalued categories of mating or of dating or how, what, however you want to call it. And that is alignment of intent. You know, so one of the things that, all right, so uh, 
one of my 15 jobs, this is a new job. This is a okay. job. Oh, new job. Okay, great. Right. You got to up, you got to up job. That. job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Job, job 16. So, so, so this, this hasn't been announced yet. I don't, I don't know when, when you're going live with this. When are you going live with this, Keith? Um, well, uh, before Valentine's Day, because this is the re- Valentine's relationship. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so then it's going to be a week after this. So I can't say it, but let oh, me okay. say this. I just added a, a really big job. Okay. Uh, and a, a lot of it is around insights on relationships, but using dating apps to like analyze how we, our behaviors. Okay. And, and one of the things that, I, that I've been seeing is really interesting is that is the behavior of women online. And, and normally how it goes is, so a woman who is looking for any type of relationship, and this is, this is um, it could be a heterosexual woman, it could be a queer woman, right? Mm-hmm. But the pattern is p- pretty much the same. And that is, is first, we're going to look at the, these, these photos, right? We're going to look at photos mm-hmm. and we're going to see what the photos look like, right? right? right. Um, but, but that's not all the decision is going to be made on the photo. We're then going to secondly look at intent. We're going to look at, whether or not there's overt or tacit intent. So overt would be in their profile, the guy says, I'm looking for a long-term committed relationship or I'm looking for marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or maybe a more tacit uh, would be the guy has a, a, a sh- he's posed with no shirt on, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't necessarily suggest to, to most people that they're looking for a long-term relationship. Right. But my whole point is, is, is intent is something that is very important. And the more that you are looking for a committed relationship, such as marriage, you want to see alignment in intent. And so to go back to your point is that when I was you know, courting my wife, I was very clear about my intent i want to be married you know i want to have children you know i i you know i want to be monogamous like i was very clear about my about my intent so i think that is very important and it's it's undervalued in dating oh great that and i mean and that's true um i think you know part of it because a lot of time well i think we as men think about that part that intent on the back end we get to a point where we're tired of the life that we lived before. Now it's time, but it, we probably lose so you know the opportunities with so many women that and then we then become our friends or what have you because we didn't think about the intent, um, the positive. I would say the positive intent. I think we we think about what the negative intent will be. Oh, then we'll no longer have a have um, another woman, or we'll no longer. Um, be able to go out or boys and have fun. We think about that, not necessarily what the positive intent will be if we, if we find the right, right. partner. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and to your point too, is that, you know, I, I think, you know, as men too, what I try to, you know, tell a lot, like literally my brother, like, but all my brothers is, is the, not just like negative consequences, but the cost, you know, of not, being clear with your intent early on, you know, like the literal cost, like alimony is no joke. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, child support is no joke out here. You know, 
it's it's and it's not just that it's it's you know all studies suggest that those of us who have strong romantic connections so i.e emotional connection right live longer less stressed healthier make more money right all of the things that most people want to have right it comes as a direct not indirect but a direct result of having a strong emotional connection so right yeah don't 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 undervalue that right okay yeah definitely not one thing i thought was fantastic and i know you posted it um you know you were in the us you know for a while and we're doing a lot of great things but then you got an opportunity to go to the uk uh to do some you know relationship work first you went by yourself and then that led to some challenges and we don't really need to go there but then you decided to bring your whole family over uh to the uk what kind of led to that decision because i thought it was brilliant by the way and what are what um was that a hard decision to make yeah and you know i, I appreciate you asking me this point so in 2010 I had launched, so my, my matchmaking business uh, had already launched. My wife had left her job, so she's now uh, working in, in the business. And we, uh, so I was, I was a matchmaker, you know, that was, that was my gig. Uh, and then I got super lucky. I won the lottery, basically, and Oprah Winfrey offered me the opportunity of a lifetime to co-host a television show with her. So in, in 2010... Uh, I went and I co-hosted the show with Oprah, but in order to do so, I had to leave where we were living in DC and I had to go to Georgia uh, for about six weeks and film the show. Now, right at that time, we had just had our first child, Kingston. Uh, he was just a few months old and we had tried for eight years to have Kingston. We had even lost a child um, mm. um, in, in trying to have Kingston. So to have him was, this was, this was big. This was massive. Um, and I distinctly remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I have to leave my family for six weeks, you know. Um, and I was like crying at the airport. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is crazy. Even though, but hold on. This is, oh, and my wife was like, no, it's Oprah. You go. It's Oprah. You, you go. You go. I will be fine. Um, but I was I was um, I just didn't feel good about it throughout all the filming. So at the end of the filming, my wife and I were like, look. This is our family. We create our own boundaries. We create our own rules as a unit. Uh, how do we want to work this? And we said, okay, what we're going to do is, since we work together and our plan is to continue to work together, anytime one of us has to leave for 10 or more days on a project, we all go as a family unit. Like we just all pick up and go. Mm-hmm. And so from 2010 all the way to 2020, so for 10 years, we held to that. And that's what got us actually to the UK. Because in, in 2018, I was offered a job there for three months. And I brought the family with me, right? So mm. we all came together as a unit. Our boys, we were homeschooling our boys, you know, so we all traveled together. But 2020, when 2020 hit, it was right in the middle of COVID. COVID, okay. And, and it was... Uh, there was a project I was doing in the UK and we were, we had gone back to the U S and uh, because of COVID uh, you know, the production team and everywhere I was like, no, it's, it's like, it's not safe, you know, to bring your family. So I didn't bring them 
right? Went by myself for about three months or whatever. And it was the worst. It was the worst. Mm. Now, you know, uh, you could argue it was COVID. So that in itself was hard for, for everyone. So I had that. But what I realized was the key for me and where my, and this is how you know what your, truly what your values are. Your values, I think, is what feeds you. It's what feeds you life, right? That's literally your, what, what you value is why you exist. And so family to me is a value. And without, with absence of family mm-hmm. for extended periods of time, you know, I, I don't operate well. Right. You know, I don't show up well. And, and so that's, that was a big lesson to me um, is, is to, you know, adhere to your values, but also adhere to the boundaries that you create as a family unit. Okay. That's great. And so I just thought it was fantastic just because you did things that normally, I guess, kids that age don't get to do. I mean, I saw you in your kilts and, and just all of the different adventures Yeah. and how, how have the kids benefited from, I guess, that life that you've given them? Man, I, I tell you what, I, th- this is the one I'm praying on is headed in the right direction, you know, but you, you never know, you, you never mm-hmm. know. But the, the way that I look at it is, is the world is small. We're all interconnected. And one of the things I saw early, you know, so uh, one of the things that my mother did was she was a flight attendant. And so uh, early on in, you know, when I was in middle school, high school, we were traveling. And I, I distinctly remember being going to uh, going to China, going to Macau, China, when I was, say, 14, 15 years old. And I remember uh, we were taking a bus from, I think, like Hong Kong to, to Macau. And we were just driving through rice fields and rice fields and rice fields and rice fields. And at one place, the bus driver stops, we get out and I, we're the only black family. It might be 20 of us on the bus, you know, uh, but we're the only black family. And all of these, it's like kids and adults are coming out of the rice paddies, like hundreds of them all coming to the bus. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? And they're all coming to the bus and they come up and with full intrigue, they're talking to us. Like they'd never seen black people in their life, mm. you know, never in, in person. They, they want to know, am I Michael Jackson? You know, oh, like, wow. they're okay. asking questions that you're like, okay. But what I realized was it was questions of intrigue and love. Mm. Not what I had thought growing up in the United States of America. In the United States of America, growing up, especially throughout the 80s and the 90s in New York, uh, uh, right around D.C., the whole idea was, you know what, Black people, we have targets on us, we're ostracized, uh, you know, we're marginalized, not just here in the United States, but, but all over the world, right? We have nothing to give. But when, you, when I stepped outside, I started realizing, hold up for a second, there's intrigue, there's love, and there's a level of respect. And this is not everywhere, mm-hmm. but, but that, was, that was me opening my eyes to the possibility of how much opportunity there was in the world. 
not just for everybody, but in particular for Black people, right? Um, and uh, so long story short, fast forward to, to my boys is right around 2018, I mean, my God, it was, it was devastating for Black men in the United States. I think that was, mm. we, uh, you know, when you look at the, the rash of violence against us. That's Trayvon how Martin. Amped, yeah, Trayvon Martin, right? Yeah, Trayvon, yeah how, 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 how uh, amped up it was in the media. Mm-hmm. It was men- mentally, it was, I think, one of the worst states in modern history for, 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 for Black men in particular. Mm. And so leaving was in part a bit of an escape, but it was also a throwback to my early years of, okay, I want you to see all this opportunity out here. Mm. I want you to see how, you know, how much and how, how much you could do in this world and how powerful uh, you actually are in this world. So uh, we've taken them everywhere, man. I mean, we were like, I mean, 30, 40 countries, um, my nine-year-old has gone to, you know? So it's one of these where uh, I'm hoping that's going to have some, 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 some benefits as, right, as, right. as they get older. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's very, I mean, and that's very true. We probably take it for granted or we, you know, for some of us, yes, who have the ability to travel, but even even within the United States, if you you know you know budgetary thing, you or just somewhere in your in the state that you live in could create a whole different mm-hmm. aspect of our, our kids' minds. I think it's you're beyond you're you're known way beyond your neighborhood if you just you know venture out. So I applaud that. That's awesome. But you know, since this is kind of the relationship edition. We need to get get those nuggets uh, while we can. Um, but the one, so one thing you you know you have the matchmaking business, and you are known as the most influential matchmaker. My first question I wanted to ask: Do you feel pressure from being you know kind of having that label, that moniker of being the most influential? No, no. I mean, you, you know, one is it's, it's an honor because it came from uh, specifically the Matchmaking Institute which is a, a professional organization of matchmakers that I have a lot of respect for. Um, and so, but the reason why I say no is because, you know, I feel like there's no one I compete with, but me, you know? Okay. And, and when I say, but me is, is, is every day I'm just trying to become a little bit better in what I do. And the beauty, I think of getting older, so many people I remember which, oh man, like we get older, like, you know, your back's going to start hurting, like, oh, you're gonna have all these issues, but, but in actuality was, was to me is I feel like I'm getting better. Mm. You know, I'm able to take lessons from the world and these theories that I've, that I've been reading, 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 and then put them together and then to come up with my own thoughts, you know, my own ideas. Um, And, and so I, I, I don't feel the pressure uh, I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the title. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, and Hey, the, the, I guess the, the goats of the world, they, they, they do take on the challenge no matter what, you know, especially since <laughs> just yesterday, LeBron, you know, it won the, yes. you know, the, so I, he didn't look at it as though I was fearful of the challenge. He just took it on and, you know, did what he needed to do. I mean, debating with who's the best, uh, you know, that's not this show, but <laughs> you know, uh, the, <laughs> fact that, the fact that he was able to do that. 
But the fact that, and I did want to get your take on relationships in general in the UK versus the US. Uh, you know, what are, I really want to know what are the differences, especially from a black male perspective? Yeah, yeah. So, so th- th- this this is an area that I've studied, you know, in in detail and continue to. Is uh, there's a lot of differences. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of differences, uh, and I'd say that the 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 biggest high level difference, and I'll then I'll, then I'll speak specifically to ethnicity. Is biggest high level difference is that the UK is more what I would say traditional, and the US is less traditional, right? So, so for example, uh, attitudes towards cohabitation. If you look at in the UK, it's less appreciated than in the US. In the US, it's like, oh yeah, we could live together for five, six years before we get married. In the UK, on average, it's less appreciated. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that when you start breaking down age groups, et cetera, that, that things don't change because they do. But, but on average... The U.S. is a little bit more, is, is less conservative. The, the, the U.S. is more. Um, now, when it comes to specifically Black people, um, lots of differences, lots of differences. One is, I think a lot of people don't either understand or appreciate that the pop, the Black population in the U.K. is very small. So I, I would, okay. you know, I would watch TV, U.K. TV all the time back in the States. I said, oh my God, it looks like there's black people everywhere. And you look at London, you're like, Brixton is all black. Right, and all. Right. But in actuality, black people represent only 5% oh, of wow. the UK population, right? And you're talking about 55, 60 million people. So it's a small group. The other thing that is distinctly different from, say, black people and relationships in the UK versus the US is that most black people are first or second generation uh, West African or Caribbean in the UK. So they have just come to the UK within their generation or the generation before, you know, on, on, on average. So culturally speak, so culturally speaking, they're, they're taking the culture from Jamaica, right? That's part of my heritage Mm -hmm. Jamaican. They'll be taking that and bringing that to the UK. So, so, so that changes the dynamic. And then last but not least is because you have such a small population, the percentage of interracial relationships mm. is much higher in the UK than it oh, is okay. in the US. And so you're talking about interracial, intercultural as a result of that, uh, interreligious as a result of that. So it, it is a much, much different place, much different place. Well, oh, I'm I'm very surprised at that. So does that mean there's a lot more of a acceptance to interracial relationships or is it a little bit more challenging? I, know, I mean, I know it's more prevalent, but is that still challenging from, from a, um, I guess, family perspective? Yeah, great, great question. So depends on the area that you're okay. in. You know, the, 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 the big cities in the UK, London, obviously being the biggest with probably 12 million people in and outside of London, you have Manchester, you have Birmingham. These are the three kind of big epicenters for black people. And when you are in those areas, the um, the 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 um, acceptance 
of interracial relationships is way high. A matter of fact, as you go down to like Gen Z, so so like Gen X, cool. Millennial, yeah, yeah, we're really cool. Gen Z, there's almost an oblivious nature to it. So it's just like, if you're in London and you are um, 22 years old, mm. basically you're open to, to everything. Okay. And when I say everything is, is not just ethnicity, you know, gender fluidity is, I, I think, one of the fastest rising, um, you know, um, new things in dating that's happening within Gen Z where people are, I'm fluid, you know, I'm, I, I can go, I can go any way, you know, um, we're all pansexual out here, you know, for the most part. So that, so Gen Z in those areas, absolutely. There's no, there, there, very little bias, mm. but then once you step outside of that and to, to some of these smaller, more conservative areas of the UK, um, things change. And, and, and typically the reason why things change is because black people don't reside in those areas. Wow. Yeah. The, the whole gender fluidity thing is something that would be interesting as we, you know, go in the next few years, how, how's that going to be managed? You know, what are going to be the rules uh, to that? You know, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, you know, what that relationship show would look like. So, <laughs> you know, so in all of your expertise, you know, different shows, and since this is a show about men, I'd love to hear uh, talk about what are three things that men get right in relationships versus what they get wrong. Gotcha. Gotcha. So one is I appreciate you talking about the get right, you know, part, part. cause, cause one thing I'm, I'm going to say is that, uh, you know, on most of these television shows I do or, um, interviews I'm doing, whether it be on a podcast, et cetera, is that it, most of the audience are, are ladies, right? Yes. Um, and then what, what's happened is there's an idea that has formed and now people have run with it that men are not interested at all in educating themselves on relationships. They're not interested at all in becoming better selves so they, they can become better to other people. Like, they men are have no interest in this whatsoever, and I, and I and I think that is just factually incorrect, right? Just just like just incredibly incorrect. And this podcast is is proof of that, right? Because anybody listening, by default, is interested in becoming better, and because of this topic, they have an yeah. interest in learning more about relationships. So it's, it's one of those where that I is 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 off. Um, so one thing I think that men get right is that we do have an interest in becoming better, right? In bettering mm. ourselves. Uh, and I just want to underscore that because I think pop culture says that we don't, you know, so, so, so I think that's, that's very important. The other thing is when it comes to relationships, and I'm assuming you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, heterosexual and, and, and heterosexual relationships. I think one thing, another thing that we get right as men is that there is, you know, so in matchmaking, what I've noticed is that the number one question, or maybe not the top, in the like top three questions that men would consider before committing to someone was whether or not they felt that they had the resources to support their partner mm. or 
to be a predominant, you know, provider. Okay. And, and that's something that, you know, with the rise of feminism, I think has gotten lost in that, you know, I think most men want to provide and most women, all the studies say most women want that, that support, you know what I mean? They they want that, you know? Um, But pop culture makes it seem like, you know, there's something wrong with us, you know, or, 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 or wrong with the man for saying, you know, I just want to make sure that I have a certain amount of income or that I've, you know, closed out this amount of debt or, um, that I've, you know, evolved to a certain place. So there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with um, having some foundational requirements for yourself before you, you get into a situation that you want to then support your partner. So I, th- so I think men get that right, you know? Right. Well, um, let me ex- just expand then, on that part. Should, sure. I, should men start to expand what provide means not just from a monetary standpoint and then women as well thinking my partner's providing in a different way not just financially because i think that's where things get muddied because we just automatically think well if we're not providing financially then we are less than or we can't offer something to that particular person right all right Let's talk about this one. I'm glad we're going to spend some, some time on this. So I believe this topic goes back to uh, what you had mentioned earlier around intent. Okay. Right. All of this falls within intent. Right. And we have to understand that there are certain things that we as men do that suggest that we have intent or that we don't. And once again, there are many different relationship goals you could have. You, you, you may say, hey, I just want to be in a casual relationship or I want to be in a committed but polyamorous relationship. Or mm. you may say you want to be in a uh, short-term relationship that leads to a long-term. There's many different goals that you can have. But what's important is that we're clear in mm. what we say and in, in, in our actions of what we want, right? At, on, on the front end, because that way we'll match with someone who then wants those things. Now, to your point of, okay, now let's look at the, the, the ladies who are interested in a committed partner, right? Monogamous, committed partnership, i.e. marriage. You know what the data tells us online, which is to me super fascinating, is that approximately 90% of the time that a woman on an online app likes another, likes a guy, it's if they have a uh, equal or higher level of education, equal or high level of education. Now, when you unpack the reason why, the reason why is because the assumption is that if they're higher educated, they make more money. That's the assumption. Oh, right. right. Absolutely. And when you look at women who are typically in relationships who have a high level of education, so master's degree, PhD, typically their spouse may not have the same level of education, but they ha- are high income earners, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I believe that where we're getting to in society is we understand that what makes for a great partner is not simply income or education, 
it is their ability to emotionally connect with us, right? Right. That that's ultimately what it is. Like if you if you read the research from all of the greats, from John Bowlby all the way through to the Sue Johnsons and the Esther mm. Perels of today, all of them are going to tell you at the end of the day, it's about emotional connection. Mm. Now, you need to have some basic things like you need to be you need to be able to eat. Yeah, you gotta have a job. You need to feel safe. <laughs> Right. You got to have a child. Like, yeah, you, you got to have have these basics. Yeah. But ultimately, it's about that emotional connection. And where I'm going with all this is that I think like my job and the job of others in this space is to better expand on that. And for us to de-emphasize income and education and basically elevate the responsibility around emotional connection and learning how to do these things. Because ultimately, that's what makes for the strong relationship. So when you talk about intent, I think as men, what we can do with in terms of our intent is, first, we have to acknowledge, look, ladies are out here looking for degrees and dollars. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but when you go to these sites, this is what, this is what it's going to be. But at the same time, what we can do is we can elevate all of the things that we have that suggests that we're going to be a strong partner if that's what we want, if we want, you know, if we want partnership. Right. But this, I mean, now it's getting really deep because mm-hmm. does that mean like in your initial, when you're working, especially with men, do you have to coach them on how to get in touch with their emotions? Because we're not necessarily taught to do that when we're younger. Right. Right. No, no. So, we're not taught that, you know, what? I, and, it, and what was crazy is it's like, I, I was talking to somebody the other day is I remember spending a year learning trigonometry in high school mm-hmm. and I've never used it since. But if I had one year of relationship class, like it would have lasted me a lifetime. Right. You know? So you're right. We're, we're not taught these things for, and this is not just men, you know, I, I find this with, with women as well, but one of the first areas to work on if you want to work on emotionally connecting with someone is your ability to listen, mm, to listen. Right. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, and then, and then to understand how to respond. Right. So the, the, you know, what people often talk about, but this is the fact is that, you know, oftentimes you'll hear a lot of ladies say, Oh, you know what? My partner doesn't listen to me. Um, and then when I do talk to him, he's, he either, you know, you know, avoids me or he, uh, tries to fix my situation. Mm -hmm. And a a key aspect of listening is you exhibiting your vulnerability in the listen. And so that could be simply, and this is one of the most powerful things I think a partner, uh, a male partner could say, um, to, 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 you know, in, in a, actually it's the most that uh, any partner could say, right is I hear what you're saying. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to say, but I just want you to know that I'm with you, right? Mm. And I'm going to continue to be with you because ultimately where the challenge is in relationships is that we constantly have fear of being rejected by our partner. So when Mm -hmm. that woman is saying, my partner, he come in, I talked to him about my day and he's not even listening. Part of what she's calculating is 
she's she's thinking about the fear of because of his behavior not listening to me that could suggest that he doesn't want me anymore it's this constant fear of being mm-hmm. denied and rejected by the right. person that we love and so by someone responding to say look babe like i don't even know what to, wow that's that, what you what just happened to you today was crazy i don't even know what to say but you know but but i'm here i'm gonna listen to you right mm-hmm. and, and i'll continue to listen to you just that alone reassures her you know what He's not going anywhere. Right. You right. know, he's, he's going to be here. So the, the, this is, these are very, there, there are some techniques that can be used to really increase our emotional connection uh, with, with our partners. Right. And just to clarify, when you say listening, listening without judgment. Yes. Listening without judgment, even listening without any opinion whatsoever, mm-hmm. like even remove the, like with no opinion. Just say I'm here. Go I'm ahead. Here, right. You know that, that. Yeah. That 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 is very powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you are doing your match matchmaking, when initial clients come in, what are the three things that you look for in a individual when you are matching a person? I oh, mean, I mean, there's so many now. It started with like three, and now it's moved to like. You know, there's psychological tests and there's oh, like, okay. it, it's, it gets, yeah, it, get, it gets, it gets, it gets okay, really, really deep. Yeah. But, and I know you're really into, into yeah. science and scientific studies and things of that nature. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, well, well, I tell you what, on, on that point though, Keith, one, one of the new areas. So some new things that I've introduced that work very, very well that are top is mm-hmm. so attachment style. Is something yeah, that I, read, right I saw right you read that book. Was, that's, a, was, that's a great book, right? Oh man, it's it's incredible. So that was introduced uh, in the matching process. Okay. Um, looking looking at decision capability, you know, our ability to 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 decide, you know, um, that is that that you know that's that's up there. Um, looking at specific relationship goals now because you know you've got a whole variety of, of goals like what mm-hmm. do you want what kind of relationship right, you know right. do, do you want to have um really trying to understand values opposed to misinterpreting interests as values okay. is you know is 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 a big area um so th- those those are some of the those are some of the the big ones but then also testing for uh you know um, the whole dark triad, like testing for narcissism, uh, Machiavellian, um, oh, wow. you know, uh, yeah, Machiavellianism, like, um, you know, um, psychopaths, you know, understanding that because, you know, what I've learned in later years is that narcissist, I think, is one of the most misused words in, in relationships, like, you know, men get assigned as narcissists all the time. And, oh, wow. And the really? fact is, okay. is, I mean, all the time, and, and, you know, and it's less than 5% of people, like y- you could be an asshole, but it doesn't mean you're a narcissist, <laughs> you know, it's, they're different, you know? Right, um, right. And so, and, yeah, and, so what is that actually, I'm glad you said that um, because I've you know, worked with and know that where they thought their partner was a narcissist. So why is it so low and what is it? What, what is it they re, are really? Are they assholes or is this, is that really the, we don't yeah, want to, well, we really want to call them asshole. that. So they'd rather, you know, they'd rather just assign that, that name. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, so one is looking at the population, right? 
it is depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, what, what researcher they'll say between two and 5% of the world's population test as uh, narcissistic, right? And depending on what tests they're using, normally there's a band. So it's not like, okay, you're a narcissist. It's like, you know, if you test within this range, you, you know, you could be considered a, a narcissist. And, and typically you're going to get 5% or less of people will test above the minimal level of that band. So the point there is that very few people actually are, right? But the people who are narcissistic will always be narcissistic. Mm. Uh, one of my buddies is one of the top psychologists on uh, narcissism in the world, Dr. Angela Smith uh, out of the UK. Okay. And I've had lots of conversations with her about this. And from all of her studies and all of her research, once a narcissist, always a, a narcissist. Now, you can learn to manage your narcissism but you will always be a narcissist. And, typic and and what that means in short is someone who views the world as their vessel to use. Mm. Like that, every everyone in their life becomes an instrument for them to use. Oh, and wow. once you've been used, you have no more value, right? Mm. So you can imagine if you're married to a narcissist, and they feel like they've gotten everything out of you, then they want to move on. So that's the reason why being in a relationship with a narcissist is, is incredibly challenging. Right. Um, but, but, but that also goes to show you that, you know, like not everyone in the world has right. the intention of, of fully using everyone else. Right. Yeah. And the, I mean, and also that extends to their, all of their family, not just one person. So they may be like Good that point. one, but if they're not like to everyone, then that's not really what a narcissist is. I would Great point. They just don't like you. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> like you, or they just want to be jerks, <laughs> you know? Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. So just a couple of more, because I know we could do this all day, like I said. Um, but going back of all the people that you've matched, I know it's probably been countless others. And I'm really thinking about the, the beginning when you had them at your table, because I know you would bring people in at the table and kind of do a little experiments, I'm sure. Um, but yes. are any of them still together? And if so, which one of those really amaze you that that is the case? Yeah, I mean, one is countless people. When I say countless is, and everyone likes to say, well, what's the number? You know, honestly, I don't know what the number is. Could be hundreds, could be thousands. Um, it is... I would say on a weekly basis, I'm going to say that, but no, on a weekly basis, I'm always, I'm getting a message from someone saying mm. I got married because of you, like, okay. because of what I learned from blah, 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 blah. But the way that I look at it is this, is that uh, my role in matchmaking is like, I don't, I don't profess to have some super innate skills, sixth sense, like, I don't have any of that, but I have two things that work really well on the matchmaking front. One is that I'm a super geek. So I love to understand the reason behind the reason behind the reason behind. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's very helpful because it means that when I'm helping someone in a relationship, I'm very rational. And when it comes to our love life, we're always irrational. Like we're always right. irrational. Right. So that's so that just goes to show for everyone out there, get people, people who you trust 
to help you make these decisions uh, on who is the best partner for you, because they'll be a lot more rational. And it's not to say that you go to your mother and you get all of your advice from, from mom, although mom is trying to steer you right. But instead, like, get mom, get two, get, get your brother, you know, get, get two of the homies who, who are close to you. Look at what they're all saying about this particular person, because the consensus of what they're all saying is most likely going to be a rational perspective. And that's something very important. But I've got that going for me as I'm very rational and then secondly, is that I have wide networks of people mm -hmm. all throughout the world. And that's very helpful because typically the two problems that most people have when they come to a matchmaker is either A, they're not meeting enough people, or B, the people they're meeting with, they don't feel are good for them. So they're making bad, bad choices mm. in the people that they have. So my job is to figure out, or when I started matchmaking, is how can I, you know, have the widest number of people that I can, you know, interact right. with, and then secondly, how can I make people help people make rational decisions? But but just a re a real quick answer to your question is is um, there, there's no big surprises, but but some of the folks I'm most proud of would be the older matches, people oh, okay. who were in their mid seventies, late seventies who were not necessarily looking for a marriage partner, but they just wanted someone to live that next chapter of life with. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the folks I'd say that I'm probably most proud of. Oh, that's awesome. But one, I, I love what you said. So we could, in essence, people could be their own matchmakers if they one expanded their friend group and went to more, went to more different variety of, of things. We, we tend to just go and do things that we love doing, not necessarily places where we go out of our comfort zone. So, you know, let's say you, you're not a big artist person, go to a gallery just for one, the experience, and two, you never know who you might meet there. It may not be a life partner, but you expand your network. Right, so to that point, Here's one of the biggest issues that we all face today, right? Is that if you look at just 20 years ago, uh, I think it's Judy Robinette who's done this research, mm -hmm. is, is if you look at 20 years ago on, an, on a, like, I don't even know if it was a daily or a weekly basis, people were having on average 10 meaningful interactions. So that's like, you know, Keith, I see you at the supermarket. Like we, we chatted, oh, what's up? How are you doing? Blah, 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 right? You see LeBron the other night, like, meaningful interactions that was 20 years ago today we've moved to one wow to one meaningful interaction uh and that's only either or like on a daily or weekly basis i can't remember but the point though is that you could see the drastic drop in meaningful interactions you also see today the rise of loneliness loneliness mm -hmm. is considered an epidemic right now Right. You could sit at home and not have meaningful interaction with anyone. Mm. I mean, thank God. And this is one of the reasons why I love podcasts, you know, discussions is that we get a chance to have meaningful interactions with people that, you know, I haven't met. Like this is this is positive. But Keith, you're doing this. But how many people are doing this? Like very few, right. you know. So 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 the challenge is that we are more siloed than ever before. We're not interacting with people uh, at all. And then when we do interact, it's just a quick swipe. It's like, 
Let me look at their photos. Mm-hmm. Like, and so to, to your point is that if you really want to become your own matchmaker, one of the most effective things you could do is widen your social circle and increase the meaningful interactions that you're having. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, this has been truly a joy. Um, I can cross this off the bucket list, uh, <laughs> being able to do. Um, but one thing I always like to end our my show with is that most of the people that I have on are doing such great things. And it's for the most part to serve and to be and help other people. Um, but a lot of times we don't really think about ourselves, maybe not you, but think about ourselves and how we feel about what's going on uh, from a black male perspective. So my question I always end with is one, how are you feeling and what's on your mind, you know, as a black man here? And and I wouldn't even see America because you're worldly, but in the world. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, a brilliant question. That I've never, ever been asked, uh, never been asked. So I, so I appreciate that is, um, you know, I honestly, man, I, I go from feeling extraordinarily blessed to be black as a man to extraordinarily stressed to be black in a man. I, I, I vacillate between uh, those all the time, you know, all the time. You know, it's 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 interesting. It's like um, sometimes I feel this enormous superpower because specifically because I'm black and and, and a man. Um, sometimes I feel uh, I walk in a place I could feel the fear, you know, enormous fear just because I'm black, you know, and, 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 and a man, uh, I, I, I live in that life. You know, I also am fearful of us as black men. I see, uh, what I feel is continued marginalization of us. Uh, you know, one thing I see so that, that I, I see black women doing so well right now is I feel like there is, um, there is extraordinary sisterhood, you know, mm-hmm. am, among black women right. that has stretched even beyond just um, social support, but they, they've really built great infrastructure to elevate themselves professionally. Um, and I, I don't see us doing that as, as, as black men to the, deg- to that degree, you know, I'm in all, I'm in a lot of black, men groups uh you know i host a brunch in the uk specifically for black men um uh, that that mm-hmm. i try to do uh you know every quarter but covid messed it up but i did one recently uh j- just just last month and every time we get together everyone says man we don't have this we don't get this opportunity you know uh enough so all that being said is i applaud what you're doing because these are spaces that we need. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you know, um, to like, at, at the end of the day, th- this is what I find really interesting is that as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper and truly understand history, is that the, the, the number one enemy, you know, of the world, I think, you know, since, since, since the inception of man, like like black men like we we have been i think um the poster child for 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 enemy um and i think when you intellectualize that you understand how powerful we actually are 
because if we're the poster child for that, that means that there are things that we possess that perhaps no one does, right? And so I think it's very important to, uh, I guess for me is to continue to learn about where we're from, et cetera, but to more so create infrastructure, like real infrastructure for us to be able to not just connect, but to connect and build. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's never been more important than that. Well, Paul C. Brunson, this was truly um, awesome. I really thank you for uh, your candor and all that you're, you know, all that you're doing, not just for relationships in general and just, you know, I guess life in general. Cause I mean, you, you really drop, you've been dropping gems from your podcast to your Instagram posts and everything. So I really applaud that. So as we kind of close out this, how, if someone wanted to um, use your matchmaking service, how would they, how would they get a, find it for lack of a better word? Yeah. I, I'm at Paul C. Brunson on all the platforms. Uh, my website is paulcbrunson.com. You know, you can just drop me a, a, a message there. Uh, but across all the platforms, I try to keep that Paul C. Brunson okay. <laughs> consistent. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Also, but thank you for today and enjoy that fine weather. Bring it, bring it some, some of that to the East Coast <laughs> because, you know, it's a little warmer, but it's not warm enough for me. So. Uh, I, I, well, I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was truly a wonderful experience. There were so many things that Paul and I discussed in this episode. I could have gone on for another hour. But the two takeaways men should remember from this episode in, in their dating journey is intent and emotional connection. If you can master these two things, you can have the relationship that you desire. If not, you can always hire Paul to be that matchmaker for you. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find previous episodes, especially the past episodes on relationships, at Libsyn, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, I always like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from the Paul C. Brunson himself. And it reads, Don't wait. Make your move now. The conditions will never be perfect. You'll never have enough time. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough knowledge. Do the best you can with what you have. The process of doing it will teach you everything you need to know. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak Podcast. Peace.